Welcome to the Top Nonprofits Podcast. I know you're working hard to stay on top of the latest best practices to help your organization deliver on its mission, and this podcast is here to make that a little easier. I'm your host, Amy DeVita, and I will be interviewing nonprofit experts on topics ranging from fundraising to volunteer recruitment and a little of everything in between, and hope to give all of our friends an opportunity to learn from the best nonprofit leaders and organizations out there. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, This is Amy DeVita at Top Nonprofits, and I'm really excited about this conversation today that we have with Amber Leonti. She is the Director of U.S. Philanthropy for Global Nonprofit um, Operations Smile. And Amber today is going to talk with us about a topic we've been covering quite a bit lately, and that is accepting crypto um, cryptocurrency uh, donations for your organization. Coming up soon, actually the same day as uh, Giving Tuesday, November 30th, we will also see many nonprofits, including Operation Smile, who are involved in Bitcoin Tuesday. A little background, Bitcoin Tuesday is an international campaign. It runs parallel with Giving Tuesday every year to connect crypto-friendly nonprofits with crypto donors and companies to help raise money for worthy causes before the end of the year during that crucial um, fourth quarter. So again, thanks for joining us. Amber, thanks for thanks so much for joining me today and taking some time out. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure to speak with you and the listeners. Before we go too far, get into any of the crypto questions and Bitcoin stuff, I'd love to um, take a minute and if you could please bring our audience up to speed uh, give us a little background on your professional experience and um, your role at Operation Smile and tell us a little bit about Operation Smile's history and mission. You bet. Um, As you mentioned, I am the director of U.S. Philanthropy. So what that means is I oversee our regional team of seven different major gift officers ranging, ranging from California, Colorado, Texas, Chicago, New York. So we really, about five years ago, really embraced a regional approach that the organization didn't necessarily have um, towards fundraising. And our goal here was to take better care of our major gift donors in particular. Operation Smile is a a family, started as a small family-led organization 40 years ago. We're moving into our 40th anniversary in this coming year, and we've just grown immensely. And so as we've grown, it really became apparent within the last five to 10 years that as our major gift program has grown, our staff necessarily to support those major donors haven't grown. And so that is my primary role to not only work with our high value donors, but also oversee the strategy with the team. Um, So Operation Smile as a whole, you know, as we were talking before, you said you've heard of Operation Smile, but you don't necessarily know exactly what we do. And so um, Operation Smile is obviously one of my favorite things to talk about. So we had humble beginnings 40 years ago in the Philippines, our founders, Bill and Kathy McGee. Bill is a retired plastic surgeon. He just retired out of private practice about five years ago. Um, He had heard that in the Philippines, there was quite a few kids that needed cleft palate or cleft lip surgery. And 
While cleft lip and cleft palate surgery is a specialty, as far as surgeries go, it can be done pretty efficiently. Um, for a lip, it can be done in about 45 minutes. The palate um, is could range between two to four hours, just depending on the severity. And so as a young plastic surgeon, he gathered five other plastic surgeons and said that we were gonna spend a week in the Philippines and help as many kids as possible and then head back to their private practice. And so, they got on the plane, headed to the Philippines, and they expected to see about 40 to 50 kids. And when they got off the plane, it was more like 400 kids were waiting for them and their families were there. And so, you know, for lack of a better um, term, like Kathy looked at Bill when they got on the plane and said, like, this is what we should be doing. This is our calling. And so 40 years later, we've worked in 60 countries historically and been able to do surgeries on over 500,000 patients. And that's just surgeries, uh, the number of uh, critical interventions for nutrition, speech, and all of those things um, far outweighs that number. And, you know, I, whenever people hear where I work, they say, oh, you guys do surgery. And I always say, yeah, we do do surgery. And it's a big part of our story, but it's only part of our story. We also do infrastructure building to really help the uh, the state of healthcare in the country's rise in general. We work with ministries of health um, to do training and education. So our goal is really to put ourselves out of a job. We want to be able to help countries be as sustainable as possible. And we do that in a number of ways. Surgery is just part of that. That is eye-opening and uh, kudos to you all, um, you know, 40 years and so much good that's come out of this. So thank you. Yeah, um, it feels like a big accomplishment. And I mean, it is. And just to think wow. about how far we've come in those 40 years um, yeah. and that it was started with a somewhat small idea that just kept growing and growing and growing through the drive of really the McGee family um, spearheaded by Bill and Kathy. So, wow, that's amazing. And um, and that's encouraging. I, I know so many folks that um, I've, I've come across in my work that um, are just starting a, a nonprofit organization. They're just mm -hmm. getting their approvals and, you know, um, have a, a mission that's very near and dear to their own hearts. And um, it's great to see a terrific example like this. And thank you for the education because yes, like many of the folks you've talked to, um, I associate Operation Smile specifically with the surgical procedure. And, and you know, another thing that I uh, would like to point out is that yeah. most of children born with cleft lip or cleft palate conditions, it's not a one and done surgery. So most children born with cleft conditions will need to have between two and five surgeries in their lifetime as they grow, as their muscle structure changes. And then that also doesn't take into account all of, you know, the continuum of that patient care. So as I mentioned, nutrition's a big deal. So is the patient even healthy enough for us to be able to do this life-changing surgery? And then after we do the surgery, do they have the speech tools? Because most of them need to learn how, if, if you think about it, and if you put the tongue on the roof of your mouth, if you're born with a hole in the roof of your mouth, you don't learn how to speak in a way that um, makes a lot of sense to people. So you have to really relearn that whole process. Um, another really powerful thing about Operation Smile is every single doctor, nurse, anesthesiologist, speech pathologist, nutritionist that um, gives their time to us all volunteer their time. So they are people who are giving their time and talent 
um, because they really feel aligned with our mission. And so we do have paid staff such as myself and program coordinators and obviously people that work in country, but all of the really the manpower and woman power and people power we get comes from volunteers around the world. And the volunteer aspect, um, well, thank you to all of those volunteers. And bringing that up, I think that's a good segue also into how um, how the operation, how Operation Smile works, how you're able to mm-hmm. deliver. And so in addition to that tremendous support from your volunteer network, um, I imagine you, you obviously also need to be raising funds. And yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so in doing so, um, you know, like I said, we had, um, I, I saw that you're participating in the upcoming, um, Bitcoin Tuesday, mm-hmm. which I'd love to, you know, I know our audience especially is very interested in learning more about, um, the opportunity, um, of accepting cryptocurrency for donating as a donation and, you know, take away whatever takeaways you might be able to share with them. So first, if you wouldn't mind my asking, so how, um, you know, it, tell me at the beginning, when did you actually start accepting cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and how did that, how long did that process start take um, from the time you first started talking about it until you accepted your first donation? Right. So we are fairly new into the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin space. Um, We have just been accepting it since early 2021. So coming up on our year anniversary of that. And we had been, you know, kind of kicking around the idea and talking with our executive team and our finance team about what does it look like for us to accept this? And we really followed a similar process that we do when we thought about when we thought back to originally accepting stock gifts or donor advised funds, like what are the different parameters and How can we, you know, not only attract these type of donors, but make sure once we do so to take care of those donors after we have them in the door? Because, you know, our obvious, our goal is to have not one-off donors, but to continue engaging them long-term. And so um, we basically decided with cryptocurrency that we couldn't afford not to give it a try. Um, Some interesting facts around cryptocurrency that really spoke to me were that it's really, it's secure and it's very, very efficient. So someone could initiate a cryptocurrency gift and it be in our bank account within a 15 to 30 minute period. So it's very, very efficient as far as being able to put donations into action. Um, As of February 2021, which is right around the time when we launched, we know that there was 68 million blockchain wallet users worldwide. So even if we could tap into a slice of those people within the U.S. um, and around the world, you know, we just felt like we couldn't have we couldn't afford not to kind of throw our name in the hat. Um, And then lastly, as of July of this year of 2021, we know that the value of cryptocurrencies was one point four trillion dollars. So, again, just, you know, I, I think about when we offer giving opportunities to our donors that you know, we take a similar approach as we do with our patients. With our patients, we want to do everything we can to take care of them as a patient as a whole and meet them where they're at. Sometimes that helps facilitate get them getting them from a village to our hospital site 
during four days and six different modes of transportation, but we're going to do everything we can to make that possible. Same on the giving side. If a donor wants to give in a way that works best for them and their philanthropic aspirations, we want to do everything we can to meet them there. And so cryptocurrency kind of just made sense for us in that realm of let's see how this goes. We've had a few donors express interest in it. Um, and, you know, so far we're off to a we're not off to like a blazing start. We have definitely seen um, cryptocurrency gifts come in at smaller levels, but that makes sense to me because we're, you know, at this point, we're taking a pretty conservative marketing approach. We're really ramping up so we can make sure that as the gifts started to come in, all of our backend policies and procedures were in place. So when those gifts do start to escalate not only in amount of giving, but volume of giving, we're able to handle that on the back end because we take donor stewardship really, really serious and how we accept and use funds as, as important as we care for a child. Thing that I didn't mention is that we're not doing this alone. We really recognize that we knew that we weren't the experts in this space. And so we have partnered and relied heavily on the giving block, which has provided us a lot of tools to say, you know, this is, this is worth giving it a shot and we'll work in partnership to accept the gifts um, in order to further your mission. And ultimately that's our goal, right? We don't want to accept currencies just to accept currencies. We want to be able to do so to reach more people to care for more patients. So all of it is, you know, a cyclical of we want, we, we don't, we only do things with Everything we do ends and begins with our patients and our donors. And if we can match those two things, the better we are. And we felt really confident with the giving block that they are the experts in this space. And so they, we've really followed their lead to take these first steps into accepting cryptocurrencies. So let me ask you a question about the process. I know it's a question that came up a lot um, on a recent webinar that we had, which was, um, besides, I think our most popular question was, you know, how do you even get started? <laughs> so mm -hmm. you've helped us with that. Thank you. Um, and beyond that, though, when you're communicating, you're working with your executive team at your organization, um, or maybe it's maybe it's a board, um, you know, challenges that come up, what what information were you specifically able to share or what concerns came up from your executive team that, um, you felt you needed to dig in a little deeper, maybe get some more stats or facts and mm -hmm. figures, um, examples. So tell if you could kind of sort of walk us through that process a little bit. Yeah, I, I can think of two main concerns that came up. <laughs> um, and one is, is this real? Like, is this something that we want to be trying to attract pe people on? Is this something that is really kind of too good to be true, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And then yeah. the second part was surrounding longevity. You know, is this something that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow? And we're going to invest a lot of um, resources into conveying that we accept this currency that's going to be pretty short-lived. And so it is, you know, it is one of those things that we had to kind of step into the space with a lot of, not a lot, but some unknowns about what the end game of this was. And I, I would say that, I don't feel comfortable at this point saying it's a roaring success or if it's a failure. No, we're still in that learning phase. Um, but, you know, it, it also, for people, when we talk about cryptocurrency, 
there's some people who have a real grasp on what it is and how to give. And they know when we say the giving block, they're like, absolutely, we know what that is. And then there's other people who don't have any idea about that. With that said, these are very similar conversations I have with people about giving through stock or through their will or through their estate. So it's just kind of another avenue that I don't necessarily feel that I have to be the 100% expert on them to give them the information to spark their interest. Um, and so, you know, and that's why having people, um, the experts like at the giving block to say, you know, here's, here's what we know about and here's how we're accepting it. And then letting them explore on their own, because ultimately they're going to make choices about their philanthropy that work, that work best for them. And I never, I want to provide them with opportunities, but never sway them in a way that doesn't make sense for me. That uh, from an ethical perspective has, would never feel right to me. I would never, you know, in the same perspective, I would never have a heavy hand about someone putting us in their will if it wasn't truly what they wanted to do that met with their, they and their families giving priorities. So, you know, I think Mm -hmm. for us, it's less about being the hundred percent expert and more about saying, we've decided to give this a shot. If this works for you, great. If not, then we have lots of other ways that you can give to the organization and help kids around the world. You, and I keep hearing you say, Amber, and I think this is such an important takeaway for everybody is, you know, you're keeping your um, organization's mission top of mind in, in every, every aspect of your donor stewardship. So, and so I think that's really key and that will help guide you. Um, and, you know, this almost sounds like 10 years ago when oh I don't know if it was, yeah, about 10 years ago when people started saying, you know, like, oh, donations on your phone, you know, and that's crazy, um, right? Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, and no one forced anyone to make donations through their phone. It was just another avenue that maybe this will make it easier for people who prefer to give that way. Right. Absolutely. So um, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing this information. I totally understand this is new for most, it's new for a lot of organizations. This is your first year in. So yeah, um, yeah. it's, it's interesting and it's very helpful to hear your takeaways. Thank you for sharing on how you were able to get up and running um, on this. Are there any other uh, last thoughts that you would like to share with folks? Something that you took away? When I look back on the process, I, you know, I think, I think it's an evolution. And when I think about the extensive conversations that I've had with my team, you know, part of that was really convincing them and selling them on this was the right idea. There was a lot, if I'm completely honest, there was like some apprehensive thoughts from our major gift officers about those questions that we asked. And so if you don't have a team that is going to be bought into that, this is a good thing for the organization as a whole, it's ultimately going to fail, right? If your frontline people aren't confident, don't feel good, it's a good decision. Mm-hmm. So that was really a part of the back end process. And so I would say, number one thing, get your back-end practices and policies and your talking points about why this is a good thing together before you move forward with anything forward-facing. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if you have the perfect talking points and you've got beautiful materials, if on the back-end your staff can't talk about it in a way that 
they're comfortable or instill confidence mm-hmm. in the donor, it's ultimately going to fail. Same thing if we receive gifts and the processing time is incredibly slow, or we don't have the policies and procedures in line with our data and analytics team that line up with our finance team that line up with our frontline staff. So making sure all of those things are in order. And last thing, give it a shot. You know, do your best to talk about it and promote it always, as you mentioned, with your organization's mission in mind. That's what we do every single day. And if you're just chasing giving opportunities because it's a new shiny thing, you're missing the goal of what it is to be a frontline fundraiser. And so, you know, I think it's interesting. I I love Giving Tuesday. I think Giving Tuesday is just like one of the coolest things throughout the year of people saying we're one year going to take this opportunity to like pour some extra love and energy into the organizations that we love and the organizations can say you know here's what we're doing on this special day and so layering in a strategy that has to do with crypto makes a lot of sense to me again maybe somebody's going to read it and say i have no idea what that is that doesn't make sense to me maybe you're going to plant a seed that three years down the road they're having a conversation with their family about giving and a family member says, oh, I'm really excited about this space. I've decided to invest in cryptocurrency, whatever it may be, um, just making sure that you're providing them some options to keep thinking about ways and the various ways that they can give to you, because it's not a, you know, we know that giving isn't a straight line and people give based on, you know, how it works for them best financially and personally. And so you want to make sure to give all those options. Well, that's great advice. Thank you. And before we go, I just would be remiss if I didn't ask how somebody would best be able to um, donate to Operation Smile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so your best um, avenue of where to start is operationsmile.org. And that we have a whole section on giving that really does lay out our options from a straight cash gift to stocks and bonds, wills, all those things. So we we really have tried to make it as seamless as possible. Um, Obviously, as I mentioned in the beginning of the call, we have a regional development team as well. So if you'd like to meet with someone in person, we'll make that happen. But best starting place is operationsmile.org. And to all the fundraisers listening, good luck to Giving Tuesday and your year end. I know that this is an exciting and kind of frantic time, but um, I really strongly believe that organizations, when we all succeed, we're a force for good. And so good luck to all of you. And I know we're going to do our best to raise as much money this Giving Tuesday and Bitcoin Tuesday and and the year end taking us into 2022. Terrific. Amber, thank you. Um, I would like to, you know, wish um, Operation Smile another 40 successful years, except um, your goal is to put yourself out of business. So maybe (laughs) that's not the best thing to wish, but I, I um, just continued success and um, happiness and smiles for all of your um, stakeholders and for all of your clients and the, the lives that you've changed. So thank you so much for this. Thanks so much for having us, Amy. Take care. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.